today is uh, the 10th of May, and uh, on the calendar, this is the 60th anniversary of uh, uh, the founding of uh, the State of Israel, modern State of Israel. Um, celebrated, of course, two days ago, but today is the actual day. Let's uh, open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have given us fair uh, fair warning, that you have advised us uh, of your standard, that you have advised us of your coming judgment. And Lord, as your people, we look forward uh, not to days of woe, but we look forward uh, to the king establishing court, to the king uh, dividing between sheep and goats, and to the king uh, establishing justice. Father, we thank you that your justice has been applied to us in the work of Yeshua, and we thank you for that. And we ask that you might bless us as we uh, follow you and obey you. And Father, as we uh, uh, remember the times of our Master, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. We are in uh, Lesson 6. This is Chapter 25. We're looking at Preparation Parables. This is uh, Matthew uh, Part 3. Actually, before I do that, uh, just in honor of uh, uh, 60 years ago, uh, let me uh, read this prayer. Our Father in Heaven, Protector and Redeemer of Israel, bless the State of Israel, the first flowering of our redemption. Shield her beneath the wings of your kindness and spread over her your canopy of peace. Send your light and truth to her leaders, officers, and counselors and direct them with your good counsel. Strengthen the defenders of our holy land. Grant them salvation. Crown them with victory. Establish peace in the land and everlasting joy for its inhabitants. Remember our brothers, the whole house of Israel, all the lands of their dispersion. Speedily bring them to Zion, your city, to Jerusalem, your dwelling place, as it is written in the Torah of Moses, your servant. Even if your outcasts are at the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will fetch you. And the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers occupied, and you shall occupy it. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. Unite our hearts to love and revere your name, and to observe all the precepts of your Torah. Speedily bring, that, bring us your righteous Messiah, Yeshua, of the house of David, to redeem those who long for your salvation. Reflect your glorious majesty upon all the inhabitants of the earth, and let everyone who breathes declare the Lord, God of Israel, is king, and in his dominion rules over all. Amen. Selah. Thank you for letting me do that. Um, like I said, Matthew part 3, lesson 6. This is chapter 25. Preparation parables. Uh, Yeshua said in John chapter 9, verse 4 through 5, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, those of you who keep a traditional Shabbat can immediately recognize the, the significance of this, of this verse, which is oftentimes lost, lost on people. Uh, maybe it's a farming analogy, you know, for some people. Working only while it's day because night's coming. That's all true. Uh, but this is, this is a clear uh, preparation day uh, illusion. Uh, why is that? Because you don't, you don't say when Sabbath starts. It just starts. It starts at the sunset, and you have to prepare for it or you won't eat. So, preparation is important. And in fact, we're going to see that as we go through this uh, lesson today. These are preparation parables. Uh, last week, we looked thematically at, at chapter 24 of Matthew. Unfortunately, we weren't able to finish everything. We did get a good focus, though, on the, on, on the sun, moon, and 
sun, uh, sun and moon to darkness phrases, when we look at that and we consider that, we can see very clearly from the prophets as well that Yeshua's Matthew 24, uh, all of that discourse, which by the way, this, these parables are part of that same teaching. Remember, Yeshua in Luke chapter 21, Yeshua is in the temple and he's speaking to everybody. Okay? When you get to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew makes clear that this teaching is taking place later, at a later time, actually on the Mount of Olives, where they went to spend the night, the evening. Probably after afternoon prayers, or possibly even after evening prayers, they would go back up to the mountain, and they would spend the evening, along with a lot of the other pilgrims at this time, in the, in the uh, pilgrims, not in black hat, black hat pilgrims, but pilgrims as in went to the pilgrimage feast of, of, of Pesach in, uh, in Jerusalem. But they would be spending the night because they weren't from that area spending the night on the, on the mountain this is a teaching from that this is the Olivet Discourse this is his teaching from the Mount of Olives so this is all part of that same teaching was Matthew 24 end time stuff? Yes. Did it have other things in it? Yes. But unlike Luke 21, which focuses on the coming destruction of the temple, Matthew 24 was focused on two questions. Do you remember what they were? It's here on Matthew 24.3. Sign of your coming and the end of the age. They were not at, his disciples were not asking about, about the destruction of the temple. That's what Luke chapter 21 says. The question then was, how are you going to... He says, if you tear down this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. Right? So that's the question. See all the stones. See the beautiful stones on this temple. They ask about that. Now, Matthew chapter 24, the question is, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So, we saw, we focused, we took this, this idea of sun and moon to darkness, and we went back to the prophets, where Yeshua actually makes quotes from, and we see that, in fact, this is, in fact, end of age stuff. Scary stuff. Apocalyptic stuff. Right? So, this is a continuation of this parable. This is a continuation of this discussion uh, that Yeshua is having with his disciples. There's only one problem when you read Matthew chapter 24. It's the same problem we have when we read Matthew 25. The same problem when we read Matthew 24. It's the same problem we read when we read any parables. What is that? You can make them say anything you want. Honestly... This is a very big problem for us as believers. When you start playing games with parables, and we all are prone to do this, you can make them say whatever you want. There's five virgins. Ten virgins. Five are... Five are the five commandments that are vertical, you know, only about God. And five are the five commandments that are horizontal, the commandments regarding... And which one's the Shabbat? You know, I mean, you can, you can make them say anything. You can. What are parables teaching? Simple truth. That's it. They're sermon illustrations. They're wonderful ways to remember what your master is teaching you if you're a disciple, which is exactly why Yeshua uses parables. Why are they wonderful ways? Because they teach a clear point. Plus, they're entertaining. Plus, it's easy to remember because the story was entertaining. This is not hard to, hard to figure out. And it's, it's baffling to me how I and everybody else that reads parables is prone to try making them into something more than they really are. <laughs> Why not just take the point? And actually, in these parables, Yeshua tells you the point. He's just talked about this awful stuff 
in chapter 24. Now, some awful stuff. Some's very glorious. But a lot of bad things are going to happen in chapter 24. He talks about sun, moon, and stars darkened. And yet, he gives us these wonderful parables that follow, and everybody wants to build it into a, a eschatology, a teaching of last days stuff. Well, it is. But it's parables are for this reason. They're not to teach theology. They're not to teach doctrine. They're not to establish an alternate reality. They're to get your attention and say, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? If you ever read a parable and don't have a decision, then you've misread the parable. Let's go into this, okay? Um... The first one, Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 through 44. And I know this is 24, but they kind of overlap. So we've got to catch them all. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24. We are in 25, but we're going back to 24. Just briefly here. Verse, starting at verse 24, excuse me, verse 42, going through 44. He tells you, listen. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Okay? But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming to you at an hour you do not expect. Thief in the night. Does anybody know that phrase? A thief in the night. He's coming as a thief in the night. This is a parable. Is he coming as a thief in the night? Ah, see what a, see what a, no one knows the hour. He's coming as a thief in the night. Already, we have theology already in your mind, don't you? You can't erase that. If you, if you grew up in an evangelical community, there's no way you could forget this phrase, thief in the night. If you didn't, God bless you, I'm thankful. Well, maybe not, but, but the point is, you don't have a whole lot to erase either. Wouldn't it be great if you could approach scripture that way? Clean slate? God never intended that. He intended us to be raised in families that approached, that had long-standing traditions. Unfortunately, some of us have traditions that are long-standing and not good traditions. But He intended us to be raised in families that taught the truth from the beginning um, and not the truth as others had perverted. But let's go on here. What, who's the master of the house? But he tells you exactly what this parable is all about, right? Be ready. That's it. To be ready. Who's the master of the house? You can read on, the, on your outline if you want. It's not the Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Who's the master of the house? It's the, it's the disciples, right? They're the master of the house. Well, who's the thief? Oh, is he a thief? See, see what you do with parables? I mean, come on. <laughs> What's that mean? Whoa. No. Who's the thief? It's the one that's surprising. Yeshua. The hour of the thief would come. That's the day and the hour he would return. So, so uh, if you understand how you built a whole theology around this, how weird it's not beauty, right? What's the point? He says it. Stay prepared. You don't know when he'll come. That's it. Nothing more. Well, I thought that thief in the night that meant a whole lot more, didn't you? You don't know when he's coming. That's it. That's all it means. Um, well, maybe we do. Let's go on. Parable of faithful and unfaithful servants, Matthew twenty four, forty five through fifty one. By the way, if you need to ask a question, raise your hand. We'll we'll we won't answer all questions, but we'll entertain other questions and we'll answer with questions. Uh, Matthew twenty four, verse forty five through fifty one. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in his in due season? 
Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So maybe we should know kind of when he's coming. Do you get the point here though? He's like, we can never know. Well, no, the wise servant kind of does know. No, it's not about whether you know or not. It's about being prepared. And what are you going to do about it? Now, not knowing is different from imminent return, as in... Oh yeah, we're going to get into imminent return here in a second. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, I think it's, I think it's very different. Yeah, I do not believe in imminent return. First Thessalonians chapter five makes it clear there's a difference between those who are in the world. That's right. That's right. Do not know. Absolutely. And to them it will be. That's right. But it says, but you brothers are not in darkness, so that this capital D Y should overtake you as a thief. That's right. Very good. Excellent. So how are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to be? We talk about watching and waiting. What are we waiting for? What are we watching for? All Israel watches and waits. The Orthodox watch and wait. I think they're waiting for the same thing we are. They just don't know names. Um, Who's, who's the master of house in this one? Parable of the faithful and unfaithful servant. He's the master of the house. He's, he's sure. He's left servants. Who are the faithful servants? He's the disciple who stays busy with his assigned task. He's doing. Very important. Don't forget this, y'all. If you haven't heard me say it before. He's doing something. He's doing what he was told to do. Period. He's just doing his job. It's your duty. Doing your duty. Doing your duty. As his disciple said, Lord, that's our, our duty. We're just doing our duty. That's right. Just doing your duty. Faithful and wise servant is the one who stays busy doing. No longer, how, no longer how, no, no matter how long the master tarries. What's the evil servant? He strays from the tasks. Right? He's not doing what he was told to do. He starts, you know, fooling around. He's he's going out with all the drunkards. He's beating the other servants. Right? What's the reward for the faithful? A place in the kingdom. What's the punishment for evil? Says we'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, similar to what we see in Isaiah chapter sixty-six, Gehenna. What's the point? Stay busy with the master, the task the master has left you. Although he may tarry, you do not know when he will return. But it doesn't matter because that's not your duty to know, right? It doesn't matter if he comes tomorrow. So, if he comes, not in my lifetime. So. Uh, you know, I'm still doing what I'm told to do. And that gives me the satisfaction. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter. That's right. If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it does matter. It does matter. Ooh, doing matters. Very good. Okay, now we're finally into chapter 25. Any questions so far? It's kind of simple, isn't it? Now it gets more difficult. Uh, 
Actually, it doesn't. The parable of the ten virgins, starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13. Let's read it. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be... Oh, these are wonderful. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto... Anytime you read that, shall be like... Or is... is what is it compared to, if you read the Talmud? So what is this compared to? This is the entrance to a standard entrance to a parable. So far we've read parables. But this is the standard entrance to a, this is a big story. Okay? Don't read too much into it is what you should be. Immediately the ears should go up and go, don't read too much into this. This is a story. It's not an alternate universe. No, Lazarus was not in hell. And with Abraham. Okay, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and uh, he was Abraham's bosom, right? It's a story. Okay, and he says, it's likened unto. Here's what he's saying. This is a story. It's likened unto. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. You've probably heard teachings on this. Bridegrooms are always delayed. You never know the hour. Maybe. It's inconsequential here to the story, though. Or it's inconsequential to the point. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Let's all go up on a mountain up in northern New York. That's the Millerites. <laughs> they read this and go, let's all go up on a mountain and meet him. Then all, those, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Say, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Oh, so it won't be on a Shabbat. See, see how people start playing games with this stuff? That's, it's just a story. And while they came to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready came, went in with him to wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now that sounds a lot like Matthew chapter 7. Go to Matthew chapter 7. This nice little story should frighten anyone. Anyone? Oy Alecha. Woe to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse, uh, say, 7, verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will, de- I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13 of chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Wow. Who's the master of the house here? It's Yeshua again. Who's the faithful and wise servant? It's the, it's the same thing. It's, excuse me, it's the ten virgins. I'm, I'm on the wrong one. Go down. Matthew 25. I was up on the outline. Sorry about that. The bridegroom here is Yeshua. The wedding feast is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Just like Revelation chapter 19. Wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, the lamp oil is obedience. It's deeds. How do I know that? Well, what did you tell them before? Do what I told you to do, right? I mean, keep doing what I told you to do. Uh, what about uh, what about the five five wise virgins? They did their duty. 
They did what he told them to do. That's it. What about the foolish ones? Those whose actions didn't match what they said. If you go back to chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 22 and 23, that's exactly what's going on. I didn't know you. How did he not know them? He said, by your deeds, you're known. In the verses that precede that in Matthew chapter 7. Right? By your fruit shall you know them. Speaking of the false teachers. So how, is, how are deeds important? Why, are de- why, why is what you do important? Your actions speak louder than words. Well, isn't that a great axiom? Your actions speak louder than words. Absolutely. Who do they speak to? Everyone. Including yourself. Right? Isn't that the most challenging thing for us as believers? When we say that we believe that our God is the king of the universe and that his son is our master and that his commandments are good and then when we stray and follow our own way uh, what we say and what we do don't add up that's troubling to us isn't it it's very it's troubling to me i know it's troubling it's very troubling i think it is the worst witness is that people say i know god and they do exactly that's right and then that's right that's exactly right this, these, are, these, are, these are troubling words that's a whole lot more troubling than this is a study on the rapture isn't it it is because that's everyday stuff everyday I mean I disobey everyday let's go to the talents Chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. So he, had received five, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done good and faithful servant you are faithful over a few things I will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your Lord he also had received two talents came and said Lord you delivered to me two talents look I have gained two more talents besides them his Lord said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a few things I will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your Lord then he who had received the one talent came and said Lord I knew you to be a hard man reaping what you had not sown and gathering what you had not scattered where you had not gathered scattered seed I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground look there you have what is yours but his Lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy servant you knew what I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming I would have received back my own with interest therefore take the talent with him and give it to him who has ten talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he who has abundance 
and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weep- where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a discussion of finances. There are financial truths here, there's no doubt. It's not, a, it's not a commandment, it's not a concept to go put your money in the bank, although there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's really pretty plain. Unfortunately, the word talent is somewhat confusing to people. They think, okay, I have talents. What's God giving me as talents? Uh, it's speaking of a monetary sum. Uh, but it's a story. And a story's moral is pretty clear. Right? That's why we want to make it into something more. We don't, we're really not very comfortable with the clear point. Like all of these parables, these are very, very confrontational to us as people who claim to follow Messiah. That's why, that's why the church, that's why theologians for 18, 1900 years have tried to turn these into some other sort of weirdness. Because they don't like the plain teaching, which is, do what I told you to do. (laughs) That's it. Do what I told you to do. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Do what I told you to do. If you claim to be my servant, then act like my servant. Imitate me. That's right. These are, these are troubling things. I mean, they trouble me when I read them. Every time I read them, they, 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 they hurt me. The servant of the five... First of all, the master traveling is Yeshua. He's our master. He's the traveling. He's, he's away. The talents, the assigned tasks while the master is gone. Imagine the disciples hearing these stories. I want you to remember this. They're on the Mount of Olives. He has just come into the city, just probably four or five days earlier, and been declared son of David Hoshiana son of David they've declared him to be Messiah he has come in like Zechariah described riding on a colt of a donkey what do they think is about to happen they are not thinking he is about to go away they are not they are thinking we are about to see the kingdom of God on earth now. Messiah is going to be set up as king in Jerusalem and we will see the messianic age begin. That's what they're thinking. What are these, what are these parables doing to them? They're kind of be going, okay, where are you going? And how long are you going to be gone? Is it during the counting of the Omer? When they're counting the Omer, like we talked about, are they thinking about this? Wow. 50. Oh man, that's it. He's coming back, right? <laughs> Who knows? Re- regardless, they're not thinking, they're not taking this as he's gone. We're reading it that way. They're not taking it that way. So he's traveling. The talents are the assigned tasks while the master's gone. Remember, parables usually come in couplets. It's the way that you better explain. Here's an example. Tell a story. Okay, here's another example. And you find the common elements to make the single point. Right, so it's very compares very similar to the one previous with the with the uh, um, the, the ten virgins. Uh, the servant with the five talents, he's the one who invests his resources with obedience. The servant with the talents, uh, the the two talents, again invests resources. They're all doing what they're supposed to do with obedience. Uh, maybe a little less to start with. Okay, I only had, you know, you only told me so much. I didn't get it all. You know, sorry. I grew up in darkest Africa. Well, I did, but 
<laughs> Actually, I, I've been given more, I'm sorry, so I, I have much more to produce. But, you know, the person that doesn't have all the, all that, all the history, they don't, have a, they don't have family tradition based on truth and scripture. That's right. They start off with less. They've got a whole lot to catch up with. Isn't it remarkable when they surpass those who did? That's exactly his point. Uh, servant with one talent, one who invests nothing in the kingdom, does nothing, acts in no way as if he knows the king. How do I know he doesn't know the king? He lies about him. <laughs> right? I mean, look at it, he insults the king right there in front of him. The master here, excuse me. He insults the master right here in front of him. What does he say? Hey, you're, you're, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't reap what you sow. I'm sorry. <laughs> How rude is that? Uh, it's not very diplomatic. <laughs> not a very diplomatic servant, that's for sure. So what's the reward? A place in the kingdom. Yeah. What's the punishment? A place in the kingdom. By the way, isn't that interesting? To me, it's not. Oh, by the way, you, you, I gave you ten, you, and you earned another. Wow, look at there. Or excuse me, I gave you five, you earned another five. You get ten. No, you get nothing. Well, it's not the talents. It's the kingdom, right? You weren't working for the money. <laughs> uh, that's another reason why people like these parables to pervert them because they turn them into uh, um, what do you call it? prosperity theology. See, come on, a little seed money. Give me, give me two. Can I have two? Yeah. Can I have five? Yeah. Can I have five here? Okay. Guess what? God will give you back five. No, he'll get, he'll give you ten. No, tenfold. Oh, that's the parable of the sower. That's another one. <laughs> but you understand how people do this? They're doing that, right? I always thought this had to do with. Uh sharing the gospel and the, the talents actually represented saved souls so that the one who took the good news and went out see and, and is that uh, putting more to it than I think it is I think it is uh, first of all here's you know notches on my belt you know, are they notches on my belt did I did I get how many people did I did I introduce Messiah to you know no, here's the thing is first of all that's not bad thinking because at least it's along the lines of you, you got something to do do it are we commanded to go and be a witness yes how, how is it that we're commanded to be a witness if you go back to chapter chapter 5 of Matthew what did he say let your light a city is set on a hill cannot be hidden right a light is not put under a bushel let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your fathers in heaven when you walk into a grocery store when you're in the grocery store, when you exit the grocery store, all of that is the package. Everything you do is the package. That's, you know, what are your good deeds? Who sees them? Ah, I mean, I don't know. You know. What good deeds did I do when I walked into the grocery store? Here, hold the door open for you. I mean, you know, I walked out. I didn't steal anything. Well, everybody does that. No, but let me tell you something. Every obedient act... Every obedient act is seen by the judge who sees all. And every obedient act seen by the judge who sees all gives him glory. Because he told me to. I'm just doing what I... See, it's a whole lot more difficult, honestly, than just going out and winning souls. I mean, it is. And I've known some great soul winners that I could never compare myself up to. But honestly... It's a whole lot more difficult just to live every day faithfully. It is. That seems to be where the rubber meets the road. It is. Because we mess up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when I grew up is when I messed up. That's right. That's right. That's right. I agree. You know, constantly, and I guess I'm pretty much constantly growing even if I don't see it. Praise God. Absolutely. 
Singular point. It's the same point. To the best of your ability, prepare for the kingdom now. You know, that's why the whole thing is like, okay, is the kingdom now or is it coming? You know, this is the, this is the theologic question that, you know, whole sections of, well, not just Protestantism, but Christianity are divided over. Is the kingdom now or is it coming? The kingdom, you bring the kingdom by, you bring the kingdom now in your life. I mean, the answer is it's both. But you have splits in Christianity that say it's one or the other, period. You know? You know, the answer is it is both. The kingdom is coming physically, is coming. You know, the prophets are replete with the references, true, real references to places and times. But has the kingdom come? Yes. The kingdom has not come for us nationally. The Jewish people do not bow the knee to the Lord of all. All Israel does not, but they will. So it's not come to us nationally. Can it come to us individually? Absolutely. How is the kingdom real in my life? The kingdom is real in my life when I act like I'm a subject. That's it. When I act like I'm a subject, then the kingdom is, is, is in my life. It's why there is life. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Where is that life? If you read, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 11 and the, and the Shema paragraphs, what do you hear? I, you know, these will be good commandments. This is life for you if you are careful to keep them. This is life for you. So we have the kingdom is now. I act like I'm, I'm, acting like I'm a servant of the king. That's, that's it. <clears throat> um, Choked up, huh? Uh, yeah. And, and it's just the whole thing is incredible in that talking about to go back to um, the one who thought he had so much. And yeah. said, I have so much. I have so much time. I'm going to build a barn with all that I have. You know, That's right. Yeah. It's like we don't. You think you have all this time. Much time. Don't have any. That's right. And I th- and it's almost like the easier answer would be can't you tell us when, so then we can know. I have this much time to That's build right. barns. That's right. But it's like, well, I'm not telling you when, so forget the barns and just obey me right now. That's you right. Know? That's hard. I don't have to think we have time um, to do what we want to do. To do our own lives. And or to do something later, right? Or to do something big, to build up for. Yeah, to do something big. Can you, when you sit down at the table and you take some bread or whatever you're eating at the table at the time, and you eat it as a worship experience. Those little moments are as valuable as anything else you could think about. I mean, see, that this is the remarkable thing. Those of you who raised in Jewish families know at least you have this tradition, whether you knew it or not. The tradition was true in that every little thing is supposed to be a worship experience. It is not that cathedrals were built to point our eyes to heaven. Someday we're going to be up there. We live in misery now. Oh, it's awful now. But boy, isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven? The Hebrew perspective is reverse of that. God is not. He is, he is so high above us, but He is worthy of worship now. And so we need to bring all of that what's holy into our lives today to sanctify every little thing. That's why they say a hundred blessings a day. That's why. is because to sanctify every little thing. There is a blessing for anything that you can think of that you do during the day anything you can think of during the day there's a blessing for it why? it's to sanctify it to make it holy to say it's a worship experience this is that you know we want to make a grand splash 
in our I'm a servant of the king and the grand splash is the little moments all day long that's the grand splash you know it's the it's, and, and in the moment you know even if, you know if you're if you're following God for a moment and then you die you know okay I decide you have to I'm you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start obeying him you know I, I'm trusting that Yeshua has taken my sins and 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 washed me clean and then you know moments later you die you know even in the moments between then and now that is the common it is it is sufficient not just sufficient it gives him glory whatever measure of obedience that we bring brings him glory. First Thessalonians 5 and that's why that's why Jews are called Jews even though they're not all from the tribe of Judah is because the word means those who give thanks that that's our tradition whether we're Jewish by genes or not our tradition is those who give thanks it is that constant worship experience uh, we should be known as people who pray people who pray whether it's being liturgical or whether, you're being, whether you pray uh, off the cuff or whether a combination of the two we should be known as a people who are constantly worshiping God with our lips and with our deeds. Let's move on. It's good, good discussion, guys. Good discussion. This, we're getting the point, I think. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. This is sheep and goats. Uh, actually, it starts in verse, uh, yeah, verse 30, 31. Uh, when the Son of Man came into His glory and the holy angels with Him. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him and, all, and He who sits on the throne of His glory. This is allusion, back to, by the way, back to Matt, uh, Daniel chapter 7 when He calls Son of Man. Remember, this is always... He's making this... He's drawing this, in, this messianic image of one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds and goes up to the Ancient of Days. This is from Daniel chapter 7 and receives a kingdom. Okay? That's his allusion. So this is a messianic reference when he uses these things. Comes in his glory, all the holy angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a sheep herd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and his goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you took me in I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me then the righteous and I mean it these are the righteous not just imputed righteousness these are the righteous they live lives filled with righteous acts then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink when did we see your stranger you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you and king will answer and say assuredly I say to you inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me 
Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or, or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he answered them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. Uh, you know, these are used in many, these, these, these words are used, these are very, very familiar words to most of us. These are used in a lot of different ways, mostly to make us feel guilty for not uh, giving to food banks or whatever else. Not, not that that's bad, but you, know, you understand how people actually use these words to manipulate us as well. Uh, we should use these words to allow our master to manipulate us, that's for sure. And it goes back to exactly what I was saying. These are people that were just doing their duty. When did I see that? What? What, when, did I do, when did I see you do that? You know, when did I feed you? I don't remember feeding you. Well, you fed someone else. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's just my duty. You understand? That, that question is a really remarkable idea. They're, they're coming and going, when did I? When did I? Do they know that they've done good deeds? Absolutely. But they didn't think that it was anything more than just a simple little act. Right? It's just a little thing. Just sitting down at the table. This is a parable. It's parabolic teaching. Yeah, it's a parable. When you ever see a comparison, it said sheep and goats. Well, it's not going to be real sheep and goats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a parable. John kind of says the same thing in First uh, John five three. Says this is the love of God, and we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdens. Right. And our hearts. This is so easy. That's like I just did a little thing. I got up this morning, and I put on my clothes. And instead of mowing along, I came to shul. I came, I came to congregation this morning. That's just a little, that's not hard. I want to do it. Come on, I wanted to do that. That's a righteous deed. It is. That's a righteous deed. How about the guy was waiting outside McDonald's going through the trash. And you went back inside and you bought him a hamburger and you handed him a hamburger. That's not hard. cost you two bucks. Big deal. Wow. In the kingdom, it's huge. That's what he's saying. It's huge. Why? It's just a little thing. I want a big... Give me a big task. I'll do a big task. You want me to go to Africa? Well, I've done that. I can promise you that's no big task. I want to go to Africa? I'll go be a missionary for you. Right? That's a big thing. It's the little things. Every day. The little things. Continual faithful. You see it? You act. You know, by the way, if you never saw anybody hungry, I guess that wouldn't be a problem, would it? But you see them. Do you respond? That's, his point is very, it's very kind of simple. If you see it, did you respond? Righteous people do. Righteous people respond. Why? Because they're being like their master. And what is God? He's a comforter of those who need comfort. He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. Right? He is willing to be, to suffer with those who suffer. He's willing to be persecuted sure was he not willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake boy this is this is I want to make it more I want to, I want a hard, I want a harder thing make me go to seminary what the disciples were saying is they were asking these questions he didn't tell them a little bit about 
what will happen in the future. Yeah. But they said, boy, he's still teaching us Torah. Yeah. Teaching this is the same thing you've been teaching all along. Come on, give us the last day stuff now. By the way, this is the illusion, also the disguised king. This is a very, very old, this is the same, verse 31 through 46, very old. You'll find the same recurring theme in the Talmud, other extant writings as well. This idea that the king goes around as disguised to see how, whether his subjects love him or not. That's exactly right. And actually, there's, there's, there's parables, multiple parables, but there's a specific one where the king actually goes to disguise uh, and listens to his subjects. And then rewards on the basis of what... It, I mean, these are parables we have. We have, these, we have these stories in every culture, right? I don't know how people really act. No disguise, you know. The king goes around disguised to figure out how people really, how, how people really think of him. How, whether he should reward people. Uh, basically, what's the singular point? Appearances don't count. Not everyone who seems to be a sheep is one. Right? There, there are goats. And how do you tell the difference between the two? By your deeds, you know them. Real quickly before we close, because we got the second bell there, the weekly Shabbat and the and the and the Sabbath of the Moedim, the feast, have a day of preparation before. This is practice for us, y'all. Every time you every time you approach every time you approach these annual days, they're practice. They're just practice. It doesn't make them less holy. They are very holy. But they're practice. And if you treat them as holy days and treat the preparation for them as holy and the things that we do associated with them as holy, whether they be traditional or not, the point is it's practice. You're practicing for something. What is it you're practicing for? The very things that God has laid these, these redemption things out before us and said, this is, this is kind of remind you all the time. Seat, seat. The little things that some people wear, those are just a reminder. It is a reminder. It's a little thing. Just a reminder that... God is king and he gives us good commands. So these, these little practice things are reminding us of the preparation that we're supposed to be doing every day, all day long. Preparation, we're preparing for his coming. Are we going to be caught unawares? It doesn't really matter if you, if you know that it's not about a big thing being all ready. It's like, okay, I've got to get ready, you know, packed up. Pack my bags. No, it's not about packing your bags. Being ready means you want to be caught doing what you are told to do. The little things, every day, all day long. You want to be caught in the middle of doing something that doesn't seem like a big deal. But it's what he told you to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you are good. That you gave us good warnings. Lord, we thank you, first of all, that you gave us good instructions. Things that can actually allow us to rehearse. Things that can allow us to think about your graciousness and your goodness. That you've given us Instructions that you've given us that point us to you, that remind us of the work that Messiah has done on our part. Father, that remind us of your, uh, your care for us and your love for us. How difficult it is, Father, for us as we are studying these things to consider thing, anything other than how love, loving you are and how we should love you back. Father, we thank you that you have also warned us and allowed us to see the danger of falling asleep of allowing our preparation to be put off, not seeing that every day and every moment is a moment of preparation. Father, we look forward to the time of Yeshua's soon return. And Lord, we ask that it be soon and in our days. And we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.